0: Morning, doesn't that uh, sound of water just do something to you? <laughs> it, depending on your age, of course. But uh, hey, thanks for being with us and, and uh, worshiping with us uh, with us this morning here at Fellowship Bible Church. Glad uh, glad you are here. Um, and as uh, God's people worship uh, around our community today, uh, exciting to, to know that the, you know the body of Christ is alive and well. And though there is no perfect church, um, uh, there are churches that are um, uh, overflowing with the life of the Spirit of God going on. Now, when I say there's no perfect church, I will suggest that if you're ever in Atlanta and you go to um, southwest Atlanta uh, along McDaniel Street, around the 600 block of McDaniel Street, you'll, uh, you'll run into a church that has emblazoned on their front uh, their name of that church. Um, it is the perfect church. Now, we can chuckle at that uh, because we know there is no such thing as a perfect church. And, of course, the old saying is, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it because it'll no longer be perfect, right? Though there are no perfect churches, um, there are churches that that can be a model of, of what a of what a church should look like that is overflowing with the life of Jesus. Overflowing uh, to each other, overflowing in the world. Uh, Model churches that uh, are making a difference um, in in the world. Now, we've been doing this focus for a few weeks on overflow, the life of Jesus in our life as a church body overflowing to one another, uh, encouraging one another, being at peace with one another. Um, loving one another uh, all those one another passages that uh, are in the scriptures overflowing the life of Jesus and uh, i want to kind of wrap up that focus on this uh, message this, uh, this morning but i'm going to do that by transitioning back to the book of romans we've studied the book of romans for almost 2 years coming up and so i want to invite you to take your bibles and turn with you to romans chapter 15 romans chapter 15 and verse 14 We'll pick up our study of Romans and this overflowing focus with verse 14 of Romans chapter 15. And it says this, Paul writes, and concerning you, my brethren, he's writing about the Roman church, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, you're filled with all knowledge, and you're able to admonish, or or some translations say instruct one another. I think these are three evidences of uh, a church that is overflowing with the life of Jesus. And those three evidences are those three things that he mentions. You are full of goodness, and you're filled with all knowledge, and you're able to admonish and instruct one another. So this morning, I want to unpack those a little bit and try to understand what a, uh, what a, a model church looks like and how that can overflow uh, to each other. So first of all, you are full of goodness. And there's a confidence with Paul as he writes this. I am convinced, not, it's, it's probably a bit of hyperbole here, I'm convinced that you are, are full of goodness. Goodness, it's a word that's only used four times in the New Testament, so it's kind of a rare word. But it has the uh, basic idea of... Um, of being able to uh, have the ability to always do what is right in the, in the, in the, in the moment, be able to say the right thing and, and do the right thing in any given situation. A good person. You know, there's they, some people, the opposite of this would be nasty, you know, mean. Some people could just say the wrong thing at the wrong time and kind of <laughs> deflate the, 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 the goodness of the moment. Um, Paul is looking at the Roman church, and he's saying, I, I'm, I'm just convinced. There, you're a really good church. You, you, you just know what to do in the right time, in the right moment, and honor God and bless other people. There's a lot of goodness with you. By the way, another time that that word is used in, is in Galatians chapter 5, where he lists the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, goodness. It is, it is an outflow of the Holy Spirit that he works from in us, out through us, overflowing goodness to others. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we generate in and of ourselves. Paul says, I, I look at you, Roman church, and I, I'm convinced there's a lot of goodness in you. Um, in, in Acts chapter 11, there was a, a guy by the name of Barnabas. And it was really his nickname. His name, Barnabas, means son of encouragement. And it says in Acts chapter 11, verse 24, that Barnabas was um, full of, he was a good man full of, uh, of faith and the Holy Spirit. People looked at, at Barnabas, and he'd be walking down a street in Jerusalem, and they would say, there, there goes a good man. Now, A few chapters earlier in Acts chapter four, we kind of get a little more picture of the goodness of Barnabas. Uh, He in Acts chapter four. Let me just paint this background real quick. It won't take the time to turn there, but um, there was a whole bunch of Jewish people that had come into Jerusalem for the uh, Passover celebration and the, the Feast of Pentecost, and it was required of Jews to make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem once a year, and so. Tens of thousands of Jewish people were in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus had ascended up to heaven, and he told his disciples, wait there in that upper room, and the Spirit of God is going to come. And and it did in Acts chapter 2. The church of Jesus Christ is launched in Acts chapter 2. And uh, it says 3,000 people became followers of Jesus that day, and another 5,000 later. And, and, um, and, And the apostles were preaching that um, Jesus is coming back. The angels had told them this Jesus, the same Jesus who ascended up is going to come back in the same way. And so they hunkered down in Jerusalem, all these thousands of now new followers of Jesus, waiting for Jesus to return. Well, where are you going to, where are you going to house them? What are you going to feed them? And it was an issue and it was a problem in, the, in the, this early church in Jerusalem And then here comes Barnabas, the son of encouragement, the good man. And it says in Acts chapter 4 that he sold a tract of land, a piece of land. And in the kindness and generosity of his heart, the goodness of his heart, he came and he brought the proceeds and he laid it at the feet of the apostles and he said, here, use it however you want to help with the needs of of the people who who are here in Jerusalem. He was a good man. He had a generous heart. He was kind. And that's this idea of goodness. When Paul thought of the church at Rome, he thought of their goodness. And and they were full of goodness. There was a generosity. There was a kindness. There was... they, They could always do the right thing in the right situation. They weren't nasty and mean to one another. But second of all, he says, I'm also convinced that you're filled with all knowledge. Now, again, a bit of hyperbole, I'm sure. It wasn't that... They could uh, tell you all the f- intricacies of uh, physics and the laws of uh, chemistry and, and mathematical equations. That's not what Paul was talking about here, filled with all knowledge. What he was saying is that when it comes to spiritual understanding, he said, you, you, you guys have it. I mean, it's, it, it, it just flows from you. You are filled with all knowledge. They had a biblical worldview. They were looking at life through the grid of, uh, the, the grid of Scripture, and it had informed how they were living their life. You're, you're filled with, with all knowledge. Um, now, if you look at the next verse, verse 15, Paul adds this, but I, I've written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again. I've written to you, and that's this, Incredible theological treatise we call the book of Romans. I've written to you these, this, this, this book of Romans. He said um, very boldly, I've written to you on some points to remind you, are you kidding me? Some points? Like the doctrine of justification, the, the truth that God took our sin and placed it upon his son, and he took the, the righteousness of Jesus and he put it over on our account. And then he looks at our account and he declares us to be right with God for all of eternity. We are justified uh, some point. And Paul explains that. He, he writes about that. We are declared right. We are acquitted of all crimes because of what, what Jesus Christ has done for us. And, and then he, of course, doesn't stop there. He talks about the wrath of God, and he says in chapter 1, verse 18, it's revealed against all unrighteousness and sinfulness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. God's wrath is manifested. And he even tells the Roman church, we have to be careful, he said. "I, I want to preach the good news to you because if you depart from that good news, the temporal wrath of God can fall upon you too. And so not only do we, are we acquitted of all crimes and our account says justified for all of eternity, we need to live out a righteous life. And so he goes on in Romans chapter 6, 7, 8 and talks about the doctrine of sanctification. <laughs> Paul says, I'm, I'm writing to remind you about some points. Wow. Three chapters on how to let righteousness will be lived out in our life. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. You come to Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times in the book of in, in chapter 8 of Romans. Because he's trying to tell us how righteousness can be lived out in our life. And then he goes on in Romans 9, 10, 11 and talks about this wonderful eschatological future prophetic stuff about Israel. And he tells us that one day the heavens are going to open and a deliverer is coming from Zion, from heaven. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to come back again. And he says, and thus all Israel will be saved. There's going to be a great turning to God of the nation, ethnic people of Israel. And God is going to set up his kingdom on earth. And he concludes in chapter 11 saying, you know, God is infinitely marvelous. I mean, who can, he's unfathomable. Who can understand him? some points. I mean, the greatest theological treaties given to us in the New Testament, the book of Romans. And Paul says, I'm writing to you very boldly to remind you about a, a few points. The Roman church, though, understood these things. He's just reminding them. Something about the Roman church, and Paul had never visited there, but they had understood these great truths of God's Word that are recorded in the book of Romans. He's reminding them. They are filled with all knowledge on these spiritual things. Um, Knowledge about how the Christian life works, and that's a good thing. Knowledge about our standing before God, that's a good thing to know. Knowledge about how uh, grace and mercy can be operative in the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, that's a good thing to know. Knowledge is incredibly important in the life of a church. Paul warned in Romans chapter 12, didn't he, in verse 2, be careful, don't be conformed to the world, to the world's way of thinking. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds, and that comes about through the Word of God. And here was a church he's writing to that says, man, when I, I think of you, I'm, I'm convinced you guys are filled with all knowledge. And so that proper understanding of God's Word helps properly understand God's world and people who are filled with the knowledge of God have a proper worldview. By the way, just an aside, but uh, it's timely. You know, here in Virginia, we're having a gubernatorial uh, election next month in just 30 days. And uh, as God's people, we have the privilege of go vote. So go Vote but vote a biblical worldview. And that comes by understanding God's Word. Anyway, that's enough of that. But (laughs) the Roman church, if they had the right to vote, they would vote with a biblical worldview because Paul said, I'm convinced you're filled with all knowledge. You've got it. You've got it down." However, and I'm just going to also insert this as an aside, Paul said elsewhere in in, uh, 1 Corinthians, chapter 8 he says now concerning things sacrificed to idols we know that we all have knowledge but knowledge makes arrogant it's love that edifies and if anyone supposes that he knows anything he's not yet known as he ought to know but if anyone loves God he is known by him in other words Paul is simply saying um, beware of knowledge you see it's, it's our ability to, or our, the Holy Spirit's ability in us to take the truth of God's Word and really reveal to us who God is and who we are in light of who God is, and that keeps us in a place of dependency and humility. Watch out for knowledge because it can puff up, which is why I think Paul mentioned a third characteristic about the Roman church. He said, I, I'm convinced you are full of goodness, And you're filled with all knowledge, but there was something else that they marked them that they were able to do. And he says, you're able also to admonish or instruct one another. Well, how important is that in the life of the church? The word for admonish here or instruct, it's a a Greek word, notheteo, which we get a word, nothetic. The word means from the mind. It's the word for mind. Nothetic counseling. Um, it, it conveys the idea of, uh, well, I've got it up here. It's an ability to um, counsel someone, to warn someone, to instruct someone um, who might be heading down a wrong path to stop going down that path or to avoid going down that path. The ability to come into another person's life A fellow believer's life and in love and grace and in kindness and in all goodness filled with the knowledge of God's word to be able to say hey my brother, my sister um, there's some things happening in your life, can we sit down and talk about it? And it's this ability to Admonish to counsel one another. Paul used this word in Colossians when he said, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. Noethateo. Admonishing another another. And by the way, it's interesting. He says do it with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. When the word of God richly dwells within us, and of the abundance of the goodness of our heart as God is transforming our life. And we care and we, we're generous in, in, in with, with our lives, with other people. We move into other people's lives and overflowing from our heart is this concern. It's this, this rich counsel that we can offer to one another, instructed in God's Word. You know, the Roman church, they, they didn't have professional counselors to go to. They didn't have that back in those days. They had each other whose heart was full of goodness and whose mind had an ability to, to understand the Word of God and then move into people's lives in, in grace and humility and love and, and counsel one another, counsel one another. We use a book here oftentimes in our training at Fellowship Bible Church, our equipping ministries here by Paul David Tripp called Instruments, in the hands of a Redeemer. Instruments in the hands of a Redeemer. That's who we are. If you know Jesus as your personal Savior, we're not called upon to live a life of isolation. That's that's not what the Christian life is about. It's about community. It's about connecting. It's about moving into each other's lives with a heart of goodness and 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 a heart and a mind that's filled with the knowledge of God's Word that overflows so that we can connect with each other and encourage. But it's more than encourage. It's, it's this idea of, of truly admonishing one another and instructing one another. It's being an instrument in the hands of the Redeemer and offering another term that we use here oftentimes, authentic fellowship. Authentic fellowship. I mean, the real deal. And we can... I realize it's easier. I've done this plenty of times where you see something going on in someone's life and you just kind of mark it and say, well, that's, you know, that's the way they are. You know, that's the way Mark is. And um, well, no, it shouldn't be. If I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I've been raised up to newness of life in Christ and I'm acting like the old man I once was, well, that's devastating to a a, a marriage, to a family, to relationships. It's damaging to the body of Christ. We need to be instruments in the hands of the Redeemer and move into each other's lives with authentic fellowship. That's what Paul is admonishing us with. You know, John Morrison, we've mentioned, our pastor of biblical counseling. John is going to be retiring after almost three decades serving here. And John has, uh, the legacy that John's going to leave is this is this um, training and equipping that he's done for those three decades of building these these biblical truths into the lives of people. And we have uh, people who have taken that training to the next level and, and are willing to offer that counsel and that training in the life of of the church, but John would be the first to tell you that's just not for a few professionals. It's it, it, it should be all of us engaging in each other's lives in an authentic way. Why? Because life can get messy, right? We can any one of us can find ourselves in the midst of a dark hole of of despair, uh, confusion. We don't know how to get out of this thing. I can remember a time in my life and I remember going to John, sitting in his office and bemoaning an issue that was going on in my family. And John said, okay, Mark, what do you really want? Do you want God to just show up and, and like in the book of Daniel and his finger appear and he writes on my wall right now, step one, step two, step three, you know, this is what you to do, Mark. He said, that's exactly what I want. (laughs) And of course, John never offered that, but he did point me to the heart of God so I could walk out being more encouraged and trusting in a God who said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Well, we may not have all the answers to people's dilemmas, but we know God, don't we? that we can come involved in people's lives so that we can sit with a big ear and, 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 and listen intently and carefully and with a big heart full of goodness that empathizes with people. And then when the time is right, a big voice of wisdom and biblical understanding that is brought to bear in the particular situation that's there. All of us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we can have that. We can do that. Um, being able to admonish one another. And Paul was convinced when he thought of the Roman church, not a perfect church, when he thought of the Roman church, he thought, man, you guys, you're you're full of goodness. And you're filled with all knowledge. You, You guys can handle the Word. And you can take that good heart and you can take that understanding of the Word of God and And you can wrap your arm around a fellow believer in Christ and you can sit and you can listen, you can empathize and you can authentically enter into their life. And when God opens the door, a word fitly spoken with wisdom, you can steer them from a path that could be very destructive for them. You can admonish, you can instruct. Not a perfect church, a model church. Now, Paul continues in the last little phrase there in verse 15. He begins to focus on himself, a model minister. Last part of verse 15, he says, but um, I'm reminding you of these points because of the grace that was given me from God. Paul's saying, I I don't have a standing, I I don't have a right to speak this into your life, but I've been given the grace of God. This is God's grace that has been working in my life. Paul put it all into perspective. He wasn't there tooting his own horn and saying, Look how wonderful I am. He says, I am who I am because of the grace of God. He goes on and uses these Old Testament kind of cultic imagery in verse 16. He said, I, I, By the grace of God, I am what I am. He was given to me from God to be what? A minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying my, my work and in ministry into your life, it is something high and holy. It's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm ministering the good news, the gospel, the central core teaching of Christianity. Jesus died and he rose again. He paid for our sins. He's alive forevermore to live out that resurrected life in and through us. Romans 1 through 8. And and he's done that, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that through me, Paul says, I can impact the lives of of Gentiles with the gospel. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And those Gentiles who come to faith in Christ, who hear that good news and accept it by faith, they become, Paul says, my offering. It's to the Lord. It's an offering to the Lord that is acceptable. It is is sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's It's got the fingerprints of God all over it. It's got the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit all over it. And again, Paul emphasizes, verse 17, therefore, in Christ Jesus, not in my own strength, Not in my own abilities, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For, verse 18, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Boy, there's a model minister. And folks, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we're all called to minister. I I just happen to get paid for it. (laughs) Not much, but I get paid for it. (laughs) We're all ministers taking what God has inputted into our life and to be engaged in other people's lives and those around the world who don't even know Jesus. To offer the, the sacrifice, the offering of the good news of the gospel, reminding people this is who God is and this is what God has done for us. And we offer that out of the abundance that overflows from our life to one another. That's what Paul is saying. I'm offering Jesus to the Gentiles. And therefore, I, I get no glory. I boast in only Christ Jesus and what he's doing in and through me. I'm just a ten with the one rubbed out. I'm nothing. I am a, I'm a channel of a vessel. Boy, can you imagine here, maybe in half hour from now, hour from now, you treat yourself after a scrumptious lunch to a nice, big, thick chocolate malt with a straw that's sticking in that thing straight up, doesn't move because it's thick. and, and, And you put that straw to your mouth, and what does the straw do? It's it's a conduit, right, to deliver the goods to an empty stomach, or and you don't say when you're done, you pull that straw and you say, oh wow, what a you are something else, <laughs> man oh man, do you know how to deliver the goods? No, you talk about how delicious the chocolate malt was. You see, we're conduits. We're, 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 Paul is saying, I'm just a straw to deliver the goods of who Jesus is. I get no glory. I, get, I, I take no credit. It's all because of Jesus Christ. That's a model minister. And that's how a church becomes a model church because as we deliver the goods, they become shaped by the power of the Holy Spirit to be the church that God wants them to be. A model church, a model minister. Um... I believe that one of the reasons God has blessed this church over the many years is that there have been men and women in leadership positions who have understood this principle of the grace of God we won't take the time to turn there John, Third John verse 9 of 3 John he warns uh, the, the church about a particular man in that church uh, Diotrephes was his name and he says, Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them and does not accept what we say. He loves to be first among them and he doesn't accept what they say. Diotrephes. Uh, they can ruin a church, a Diotrephes-type person. I've been the, had the privilege for 32 years here of being on staff and working with a, a group of elders, for instance. When I first came here, it was a group of men who are no longer elders today. Three decades have gone by, and a good number of them are with the Lord or have retired and moved on. It's a whole different group of people today. But I'm here to tell you before God, I've never, I've never seen a diatrophies. I've worked with pastoral staff here. And we've been blessed throughout the years and transitions are coming. I realize that, but I've never seen a diatrophies here. I've seen men and women in ministry positions, women's ministry, men's work, small group leaders. I I, I just don't see the diatrophies. Praise God. It's not that we don't have that capability because we have a flesh. Paul says, the good I want to do, I don't do. Romans chapter 7, I do the very thing I hate. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free? But he reminds us, oh, thanks be to God. And when we put ourselves in a place of dependency before God, and we say, Lord, it's not I, but it's the Christ in me, may that Jesus flow from me to, to others. May it overflow to others. Man, I want to be a person who is full of goodness, and I want to be a person who is filled with knowledge but I also want to be a person who loves enough that I can admonish and instruct and I can provide warning because we're all susceptible to get off the path at times in our life. We need each other. We are part of a a family of God and we need each other to minister to one another. Um, You know, it's all because of that central truth that Paul was saying he presented to the Gentile world. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. A free offer of eternal life all because of that central core truth. There was a God in heaven who stepped from his throne and he became totally humanity. He became a bondservant and he took our sin upon himself and he was judged on the cross and he died a painful, horrific death. He did it for us because he loved us. And he paid for our sins, not one sin, that he ever ever got unpaid for. How do we know that? Because three days later, he rose again. He'd still be in the tomb if he hadn't accomplished and finished the work he set out to do. That's the core central message of Christianity. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus died on the cross and he rose again victorious over sin and over death and over the grave. And he offers us the free gift of eternal life. Now, we, we can get so busy in life. I understand that. We can get so caught up in the things of the world and all the stuff that's going on in this crazy, crazy madness of this world that we are so susceptible to forget that core central teaching. There's a God in heaven who loves us He died for us and He was raised to life so that we can be raised to newness of life and live out and experience the truthfulness of that resurrection in our own life and help others out of the overflow of that, help each other to be reminded of that. And that's why Jesus had said, I I want you to do something as a church so that you'll never forget that. Hopefully you received a little communion cup when he came in this morning. And these are just simple little emblems, but they're emblems that Jesus said to his disciples and then he passed on to the Apostle Paul that as a body of believers, we are to do this to remember him by because we can so easily forget. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 11, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If a church is ever going to be a model church, if a church is ever going to flow the life of Christ from our innermost being to others and let the world know that there's a difference by being a Christian it comes back to being reminded what Jesus did for us. How easily we forget and so on this Lord's Day weekend we take this little wafer and we hear the words of Jesus "This, this, this is a symbol this is my body which is given for you don't forget me. Do this in remembrance of him. Would you partake with me? And Paul went on and said in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we, we peel back that little lid, and we are reminded, this is just juice, but... Jesus gave us a symbol to remind us that he poured out his blood so that we could have eternal life. And the only way we get to heaven is because of what this symbolizes. Jesus died for me and he was raised to life. There is eternal salvation in nothing else but the blood of Jesus Christ because that was efficacious, that was uh, enough to satisfy God for all of eternity for the sins of this wicked person. This blood, what this symbolizes, was sufficient for God to say, welcome into my family. I give you the free gift of eternal life. And Jesus says, please don't forget it. Do this in remembrance of me, he said. We become a model church and model ministers of the grace of God as we remember the model Savior who died and rose again. Would you bow your head in prayer? Father, we are reminded again that it's not of works of righteousness that we have done but it's because of your mercy and the giving of your Son that makes all this possible, that changes our lives to be filled with goodness. It really, really can can mark our life. And to be filled with knowledge as you have given us in your kindness and grace, your word, a revelation of yourself, the inerrant inspired word of God, and, and Father, it's just your kindness that when your people open that book and, and, and we get into the Word of God and we seek you, that your Holy Spirit then transforms us. It transforms us from glory to glory and, and that work of, 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 of holiness formed in us continues and it grows. It's, it's all because of what you have accomplished for us, Father thank you that we have something to remember. We have the cross. We have an empty tomb. We have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I pray, Father, that it is that, that life of Jesus that will overflow and uh, touch and impact and encourage and admonish and love and, and serve each other in this world. A world caught in the grips of the evil one and in darkness that need need to see the overflowing power and presence of Jesus in our life. May you do that and continue that work here at Fellowship Bible Church, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.